Chapter forty three of the Man in the Iron Mask by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Gascon and a Gascon and a Half. D'Artagnan had determined to lose no time, and in fact, he never was in the habit of doing so. After having inquired for Aramis, he had looked for him in every direction until he had succeeded in finding him. Besides, no sooner had the king entered Vaux than Aramis had retired to his own room, meditating, doubtless, some new piece of gallant attention for his majesty's amusement. D'Artagnan desired the servants to announce him, and found on the second story, in a beautiful room called the Blue Chamber, on account of the color of its hangings, the Bishop of Vannes in company with Porthos and several of the modern Epicureans. Aramis came forward to embrace his friend, and offered him the best seat, as it was after a while generally remarked among those present that the musketeer was reserved, and wished for an opportunity for conversing secretly with Aramis, the Epicureans took their leave. Porthos, however, did not stir, for true it is that, having dined exceedingly well, he was fast asleep in his armchair, and the freedom of conversation therefore was not interrupted by a third person. Porthos had a deep, harmonious snore, and people might talk in the midst of its loud bass without fear of disturbing him. D'Artagnan felt that he was called upon to open the conversation. "'Well, and so we have come to Vaux,' he said. "'Why, yes, D'Artagnan, and how do you like the place?' "'Very much, and I like Monsieur Fouquet also.' "'Is he not a charming host?' no one could be more so i am told that the king began by showing great distance of manner toward monsieur fouquet but that his majesty grew much more cordial afterwards you did not notice it then since you say you have been told so no i was engaged with the gentlemen who have just left the room about the theatrical performances and the tournaments which are to take place to-morrow. Ah, indeed. You are the Comptroller General of the Fets here, then. You know I am a friend of all kinds of amusement, where the exercise of the imagination is called into activity. I have always been a poet in one way or another. Yes, I remember the verses you used to write. They were charming i have forgotten them but i am delighted to read the verses of others when those others are known by the names of moliere pelisson la fontaine etc do you know what idea occurred to me this evening aramis no tell me what it was for i should never be able to guess it you have so many well the idea occurred to me that the true king of france is not louis the fourteenth what said aramis involuntarily looking the musketeer full in the eyes no it is monsieur fouquet aramis breathed again and smiled ah you are like all the rest jealous he said i would wager that it was monsieur colbert who turned that pretty phrase d'artagnan in order to throw aramis off his guard related Colbert's misadventures with regard to the Van de Melun. 
"'He comes of a mean race, does Colbert,' said Aramis. "'Quite true. "'When I think, too,' added the bishop, "'that that fellow will be your minister within four months, "'and that you will serve him as blindly as you did Richelieu or Mazarin.' "'And as you serve, Monsieur Fouquet,' said D'Artagnan. "'With this difference, though, that Monsieur Fouquet is not Monsieur Colbert.' "'True, true,' said D'Artagnan, as he pretended to become sad and full of reflection, and then, a moment after, he added, "'Why do you tell me that Monsieur Colbert will be minister in four months?' "'Because... Monsieur Fouquet will have ceased to be so, replied Aramis. He will be ruined, you mean, said D'Artagnan. Completely so. Why does he give these fetes, then? said the musketeer in a tone so full of thoughtful consideration and so well assumed that the bishop was for the moment deceived by it. Why did you not dissuade him from it? The latter part of the phrase was just a little too much, and Aramis's former suspicions were again aroused. "'It is done with the object of humoring the king.' "'By ruining himself?' "'Yes, by ruining himself for the king.' "'A most eccentric, one might say, sinister calculation, that.' "'Necessity.' necessity my friend i don't see that dear aramis do you not have you not remarked monsieur colbert's daily increasing antagonism and that he is doing his utmost to drive the king to get rid of the superintendent one must be blind not to see it and that a cabal is already armed against monsieur fouquet that is well known what likelihood is there that the king would join a party formed against a man who will have spent everything he had to please him true true said d'artagnan slowly hardly convinced yet curious to broach another phase of the conversation there are follies and follies he resumed and i do not like those you are committing what do you allude to as for the banquet the ball the concert the theatricals the tournaments the cascades the fireworks the illumination and the presents these are well and good i grant but why were not these expenses sufficient why was it necessary to have new liveries and costumes for your whole household you are quite right i told monsieur fouquet that myself he replied that if he were rich enough he would offer the king a newly erected chateau from the veins at the houses to the very sub-cellars completely new inside and out and that as soon as the king had left he would burn the whole building and its contents in order that it might not be made use of by any one else how completely spanish i told him so and he then added this whoever advises me to spare expense i shall look upon as my enemy it is positive madness and that portrait too 
"'What portrait?' said Aramis. "'That of the king, and the surprise as well.' "'What surprise?' "'The surprise you seem to have in view, and on account of which you took some specimens away when I met you at Perceran's.' D'Artagnan paused. The shaft was discharged, and all he had to do was to wait and watch its effect. "'That is merely an act of graceful attention,' replied Aramis. D'Artagnan went up to his friend, took hold of both his hands, and, looking him full in the eyes, said, "'Aramis, do you still care for me a very little?' "'What a question to ask!' very good one favor then why did you take some patterns of the king's costumes at Perceran's? come with me and ask poor lebrun who has been working upon them for the last two days and nights aramis that may be truth for everybody else but for me upon my word d'artagnan you astonish me be a little considerate tell me the exact truth you would not like anything disagreeable to happen to me would you my dear friend you are becoming quite incomprehensible what suspicion can you have possibly got hold of do you believe in my instinctive feelings formerly you used to have faith in them well then an instinct tells me that you have some concealed project on foot i a project i am convinced of it what nonsense i am not only sure of it but i would even swear it indeed d'artagnan you cause me the greatest pain is it likely if i have any project in hand that i ought to keep secret from you i should tell you about it if i had one that i could and ought to have revealed should i not have long ago divulged it no aramis no there are certain projects which are never revealed until the favorable opportunity arrives in that case my dear fellow returned the bishop laughing the only thing now is that the opportunity has not yet arrived d'artagnan shook his head with a sorrowful expression oh friendship friendship he said what an idle word you are here is a man who if i were but to ask it would suffer himself to be cut in pieces for my sake you are right said aramis nobly and this man who would shed every drop of blood in his veins for me will not open up before me the least corner in his heart friendship i repeat is nothing but an unsubstantial shadow a lure like everything else in this bright dazzling world it is not thus you should speak of our friendship replied the bishop in a firm assured voice for ours is not of the same nature as those of which you have been speaking look at us aramis three out of the old four you are deceiving me 
I suspect you and Porthos is fast asleep. An admirable trio of friends, don't you think so? What an affecting relic of the former dear old times. I can only tell you one thing, D'Artagnan, and I swear it on the Bible. I love you just as I used to do. If I ever suspect you, it is on account of others and not on account of either of us. In everything I may do, and should happen to succeed in, you will find your fourth. Will you promise me the same favor? If I am not mistaken, Aramis, your words, at the moment you pronounce them, are full of generous feeling. Such a thing is very possible. You are conspiring against Monsieur Colbert. If that be all, mordieu, tell me so at once. I have the instrument in my own hand, and will pull out the tooth easily enough. Aramis could not conceal a smile of disdain that flitted over his haughty features. And supposing that I were conspiring against Colbert, what harm would there be in that? No, no, that would be too trifling a matter for you to take in hand, and it was not on that account you asked Perserin for those patterns of the king's costumes. Oh, Aramis! We are not enemies, remember. We are brothers. Tell me what you wish to undertake, and upon the word of D'Artagnan, if I cannot help you, I will swear to remain neuter. I am undertaking nothing, said Aramis. Aramis, a voice within me speaks and seems to trickle forth a rill of light within my darkness. It is a voice that has never yet deceived me. It is the king you are conspiring against. The king? exclaimed the bishop, pretending to be annoyed. Your face will not convince me. The king, I repeat. Will you help me? said Aramis, smiling ironically. Aramis, I will do more than help you. I will do more than remain neuter. I will save you. You are mad, D'Artagnan. I am the wiser of the two in this matter. You to suspect me of wishing to assassinate the king? Who spoke of such a thing? smiled the musketeer. Well, let us understand one another. I do not see what anyone can do to a legitimate king as ours is, if he does not assassinate him. D'Artagnan did not say a word. Besides, you have your guards and your musketeers here, said the bishop. True. You are not in Monsieur Fouquet's house, but in your own. True. But in spite of that, Aramis, grant me, for pity's sake, one single word of a true friend. A true friend's word is ever truth itself. If I think of touching, even with my finger, the son of Anne of Austria, the true king of this realm of France, 
if I have not the firm intention of prostrating myself before his throne, if in every idea I may entertain tomorrow, here at Vaux, will not be the most glorious day my king ever enjoyed. May heaven's lightning blast me where I stand. Aramis had pronounced these words with his face turned toward the alcove of his own bedroom, where D'Artagnan, seated with his back toward the alcove, could not suspect that any one was lying concealed. The earnestness of his words, the studied slowness with which he pronounced them, the solemnity of his oath gave the musketeer the most complete satisfaction. He took hold of both Aramis's hands and shook them cordially. Aramis had endured reproaches without turning pale, and had blushed as he listened to words of praise. D'Artagnan, deceived, did him honor, but D'Artagnan, trustful and reliant, made him feel ashamed. "'Are you going away?' he said as he embraced him, in order to conceal the flush on his face. "'Yes, duty summons me. I have to get the watchword. It seems I am to be lodged in the king's ante-room. Where does Porthos sleep?' "'Take him away with you, if you like, for he rumbles through his sleepy nose like a park of artillery.' "'Ah, he does not stay with you, then,' said D'Artagnan. "'Not the least in the world. He has a chamber to himself, but I don't know where.' "'Very good,' said the musketeer, from whom this separation of the two associates removed his last suspicion. And he touched Porthos lightly on the shoulder. The latter replied by a loud yawn. "'Come,' said D'Artagnan. "'What?' d'artagnan my dear fellow is that you what a lucky chance oh yes true i have forgotten i am at the fete at vaux yes and your beautiful dress too yes it was very attentive on the part of monsieur coquelin de voliere was it not hush said aramis you are walking so heavily you will make the flooring give way true said the musketeer this room is above the dome i think and i did not choose it for a fencing room i assure you added the bishop the ceiling of the king's room has all the lightness and calm of a wholesome sleep do not forget therefore that my flooring is merely the covering of his ceiling good night my friends and in ten minutes I shall be asleep myself. And Aramis accompanied them to the door, laughing quietly all the while. As soon as they were outside, he bolted the door, hurriedly closed up the chinks of the windows, and then called out, Monseigneur! Monseigneur! Philippe made his appearance from the alcove as he pushed aside a sliding panel placed behind the bed. Monsieur d'Artagnan, entertains a great many suspicions it seems he said ah you recognized monsieur d'artagnan then before you called him by his name even he is your captain of musketeers he is very devoted to me replied philippe laying a stress upon the personal pronoun as faithful as a dog but he bites sometimes if D'Artagnan does not recognize you before the other has disappeared, rely upon D'Artagnan to the end of the world. For in that case, 
if he has seen nothing he will keep his fidelity if he sees when it is too late he is a gascon and will never admit that he has been deceived i thought so what are we to do now sit in this folding chair i am going to push aside a portion of the flooring you will look through the opening which answers to one of the false windows made in the dome of the king's apartment can you see yes said philippe starting as at the sight of an enemy i see the king what is he doing he seems to wish some man to sit down close to him monsieur fouquet no no wait a moment look at the notes and the portraits my prince the man whom the king wishes to sit down in his presence is monsieur colbert colbert sit down in the king's presence exclaimed aramis it is impossible look aramis looked through the opening in the flooring yes he said colbert himself oh monseigneur what can we be going to hear and what can result from this intimacy nothing good for monsieur fouquet at all events the prince did not deceive himself we have seen that louis the fourteenth had sent for colbert and colbert had arrived the conversation began between them by the king according to him one of the highest favors that he had ever done it was true the king was alone with his subject colbert said he sit down the intendant overcome with delight for he feared he was about to be dismissed refused this unprecedented honor does he accept said aramis no he remains standing let us listen then and the future king and the future pope listened eagerly to the simple mortals they held under their feet ready to crush them when they liked colbert said the king you have annoyed me exceedingly to-day i know it sire very good i like that answer yes you knew it and there was courage in the doing of it i ran the risk of displeasing your majesty but i risked also the concealment of your best interests what you were afraid of something on my account i was sire even if it were nothing more than an indigestion said colbert for people do not give their sovereigns such banquets as the one of to-day unless it be to stifle them beneath the burden of good living colbert awaited the effect this coarse jest would produce upon the king and louis the fourteenth who was the vainest and the most fastidiously delicate man in his kingdom forgave colbert the joke the truth is he said that monsieur fouquet has given me too good a meal tell me colbert where does he get all the money required for this enormous expenditure can you tell yes i do know sire will you be able to prove it with tolerable certainty easily 
and to the utmost farthing. I know you are very exact. Exactitude is the principal qualification required in an intendant of finances. But all are not so. I thank your majesty for so flattering a compliment from your own lips. Monsieur Fouquet, therefore, is rich, very rich, and I suppose every man knows he is so. Every one, sire, the living as well as the dead. What does that mean, Monsieur Colbert? The living are witnesses of Monsieur Fouquet's wealth. They admire and applaud the result produced, but the dead, wiser and better informed than we are, know how that wealth was obtained, and they rise up in accusation. So that Monsieur Fouquet owes his wealth to some cause or other? The occupation of an intendant very often favors those who practice it. You have something to say to me more confidentially, I perceive. Do not be afraid. We are quite alone. I am never afraid of anything under the shelter of my own conscience, and under the protection of your majesty, said Colbert, bowing. If the dead, therefore, were to speak... They do speak, sometimes, sire. Read ah murmured aramis in the prince's ear who close beside him listened without losing a syllable since you are placed here monseigneur in order to learn your vocation of a king listen to a piece of infamy of a nature truly royal you are about to be a witness of one of those scenes which the foul fiend alone conceives and executes listen attentively you will find your advantage in it the prince redoubled his attention and saw louis the fourteenth take from colbert's hands a letter the latter held out to him the late cardinal's handwriting said the king your majesty has an excellent memory replied colbert bowing it is an immense advantage for a king who is destined for hard work to recognize handwritings at the first glance. The king read Mazarin's letter, and as its contents are already known to the reader in consequence of the misunderstanding between Madame de Chevreuse and Aramis, nothing further would be learned if we stated them here again. "'I do not quite understand,' said the king, greatly interested. Your majesty has not acquired the utilitarian habit of checking the public accounts. I see that it refers to money that had been given to Monsieur Fouquet. Thirteen millions, a tolerably good sum. Yes, well, these thirteen millions are wanting to balance the total of the account. That is what I do not very well understand. How was this deficit possible? Possible, I do not say. But there is no doubt about fact that it is really so. You say that these 
thirteen millions are found to be wanting in the accounts i do not say so but the registry does and this letter of monsieur mazarin indicates the employment of that sum and the name of the person with whom it was deposited as your majesty can judge for yourself yes and the result is then that monsieur fouquet has not yet restored the thirteen millions that results from the accounts certainly sire well and consequently well sire in that case inasmuch as monsieur fouquet has not yet given back the thirteen millions he must have appropriated them to his own purpose and with those thirteen millions one could incur four times and a little more as much expense and make four times as great a display as your majesty was able to do at fontainebleau where we only spent three millions altogether if you remember for a blunderer the souvenir he had evoked was a rather skilfully contrived piece of baseness for by the remembrance of his own fete he for the first time perceived its inferiority compared with that of fouquet colbert received back again at vaux what fouquet had given him at fontainebleau and as a good financier returned it with the best possible interest having once disposed the king's mind in this artful way colbert had nothing of much importance to detain him he felt that such was the case for the king too had again sunk into a dull and gloomy state colbert awaited the first words from the king's lips with as much impatience as philippe and aramis did from their place of observation are you aware what is the usual and natural consequence of all this monsieur colbert said the king after a few moments reflection no sire i do not know well then the fact of the appropriation of the thirteen millions if it can be proved but it is so already i mean if it were to be declared and certified monsieur colbert i think it will be to-morrow if your majesty we were not under monsieur fouquet's roof you were going to say perhaps replied the king with something of nobility in his demeanour the king is in his own palace wherever he may be especially in houses which the royal money has constructed i think said philippe in a low tone to aramis that the architect who planned this dome ought anticipating the use it could be put to at a future opportunity so to have contrived that it might be made to fall upon the heads of scoundrels such as monsieur colbert i think so too replied aramis but monsieur colbert is so very near the king at this moment that is true and that would open the succession of which your younger brother would reap all the advantage monseigneur but stay let us keep quiet and go on listening we shall not have long to listen said the young prince 
"'Why not, Monseigneur?' "'Because if I were king, I should make no further reply.' "'And what would you do?' "'I should wait until tomorrow morning to give myself time for reflection.' Louis the Fourteenth at last raised his eyes and finding colbert attentively waiting for his next remarks said hastily changing the conversation monsieur colbert i perceive it is getting very late and i shall now retire to bed by to-morrow morning i shall have made up my mind very good sire returned colbert greatly incensed although he restrained himself in the presence of the king the king made a gesture of adieu and Colbert withdrew with a respectful bow. "'My attendants!' cried the king, and as they entered the apartment, Philippe was about to quit his post of observation. "'A moment longer,' said Aramis to him, with his accustomed gentleness of manner. "'What has just now taken place is only a detail. And tomorrow we shall have no occasion to think anything more about it.' but the ceremony of the king's retiring to rest the etiquette observed in addressing the king that indeed is of the greatest importance learn sire and study well how you ought to go to bed of a night look look end of chapter forty three recording by john van stan savannah georgia